0: we begin today, I want you to think about your favorite restaurant in Tulsa. Uh, that, that place that uh, when, when you're tired and that conversation ensues and, and you uh, say, well, you want to go out to eat? Yeah, let's go out to eat. And where do you want to go? Well, I don't know where you want to go. I don't know where you want to go. And, and that conversation back and forth and eventually somebody goes to that comfort spot and says, well, let's just go to and whatever that place is. I don't know if that's, you know, Chinese food or Mexican food or or Italian food or American food, whatever that place is uh, for you that you would go. And I want you to think about that restaurant and and as you think about that restaurant, I wanna give you some advice. If you like the restaurant and you wanna continue to go to the restaurant, don't ever go back into the kitchen, ever. And, And what I've found with restaurants is that ignorance is bliss. You don't want to know uh, what the floors look like uh, back there in the kitchen. You don't want to know how they wash their dishes. You don't want to know how the cook washes his hands. Uh, It's just better just to be ignorant and enjoy your meal. And it will mean a lot more. I I don't know if this ever happened to you. Have you ever gone to a restaurant on Monday and then on Wednesday you read that they were shut down by the health department? And just as you lay your head on your plate, you're thinking, well, what organisms are swimming, you know, through my body uh, today? Uh, Because I was just there. Uh, I have a friend who has a friend who works for the Tulsa Health Department. And he told me that every time that the two of them would get together and go have a lunch or breakfast or somewhere, uh, that the conversation would be like, hey, let's go to," And the guy would say, nope. (laughs) You know, was there the other day. Or, hey, how about this place? Never. You know, his friend would respond, uh, never going to go there. And, and, you know, it was just, just back and forth. It was a horrible experience for my friend. And they would end up somewhere in West Tulsa, uh, you know, because uh, the guy had never inspected there. And, and they had to go somewhere where he was ignorant of the restaurant, uh, understanding that it probably was as bad as some other places he's been. And you uh, we asked the question this morning, what does that have to do with marriage? I, I want to tell you what that has to do with marriage. Being married is a lot like going into the kitchen of your favorite restaurant a lot and you should write that one down (laughs) in the dating stage of life it's all good right and all you see is the good side and everything is great and he's always on his best behavior and she's always well dressed and then the wedding and then the honeymoon and it's over And it's real life from that point forward. And and then all of a sudden he thinks things like, I didn't know she made noises like that when she flosses her teeth. Or, you know, I I had no idea he was going to wear that ratty t-shirt every day. And and his toenails. How did I not notice his toenails before I said I do? There's a saying in our culture, and I think it's true, that, that familiarity breeds contempt. And if that is true, that familiarity breeds contempt, then you need to think through the fact that you will be more familiar with your spouse than anyone else on the planet. And so there is a danger of contempt, and there is a danger uh, that that is involved there, and you quite honestly need to be aware and and, uh, realistic about the fact that that can come. And the more intimate you become, the more you find out about each other. And there are things that you let out that you would never, ever let out in public uh, that you let out in the home, and the more intimate that you are with one another, the more this plays out. And we've defined intimacy before. In a relationship with God, we've said that you know, intimacy with God is to be fully known and to know fully with no fear of rejection. Now that definition plays out in, in relationships with people as well. To be fully known and to know fully with no fear of re- rejection. It's true in your relationship with God, it's true in your relationship with your family, and it's certainly true in your relationship with your spouse. And when you think about God's love, it's truly unconditional, right? And uh, to watch that play out in human form is, is very interesting to watch out. When you are loved by another human being, you, you have to know that you have opened yourself up to that other individual, that there's real potential for hurt. Because humans hurt each other. And, and this is where the rubber really meets the road. If love hurts, then intimate love hurts intimately. And, and if love hurts, then deep love hurts deeply. And that is the honest, hard, true facts uh, about marriage. And uh, I want every married person in here whose spouse is here, today to turn and look at their spouse, and I don't do this to make the rest of you feel uncomfortable that don't have a spouse here, and I'm not doing this to make those of you who are married feel uncomfortable, but but I just want you to play along, okay? And so if you are married and your spouse is sitting beside you, then I want you to turn and look to your spouse and say, honey, I promise I will love you. I promise I will care for you. And I promise I will hurt you. Isn't that honest, right? I mean, that's the truth of life, that we're gonna hurt one another. Why? We're all human, and humans hurt each other. And and, uh, we think, well, love shouldn't hurt. That's not reality. Not only is that not reality, that would make a lousy country song, right? I mean, to talk about all the hurt that didn't come because I was in a love relationship. And what happens is because we are imperfect people, we love imperfectly. And imperfect love hurts. And marriage is the deepest relationship that happens in life. And so deep hurt is unavoidable in marriage. And we're usually not ready for that fact. And we're not uh, open to the reality of that in marriage, but it happens. And when we get hurt in a marriage relationship, what we think in that moment is, is I don't really like this person very much right now. I love them, but I don't really like them, and that's natural to feel that way when you're hurt. It's the automatic response when you are wounded, but it makes us feel dirty, doesn't it? Because in our hearts, we think marriage should not feel like this. All marriages feel like that at one point or another and for moments in time, and all marriages go through hurt, and all marriages go through seasons of hurt, and I've told you this before that all marriages start off as ideal, and all marriages become an ordeal. And if you are not ready for that and you don't know that, at that moment you begin looking for a new deal. And in the new deal, let me just say to you, it will begin ideal and it will become an ordeal. And if you're not ready for that, you can go look for another new deal and you can stay in that cycle all you want to. Uh, but, but the fact of the matter remains, you've got to be Realistic. And open your eyes to the fact that it's tough to be in a relationship with someone 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and under the same roof. There, there is work that goes with that. And right now, you may be in a season of hurt. Some marriages are heading towards a cliff. And the cliff is in the horizon, the pedal is to the metal, and they are heading right towards that cliff. Other marriages have gone off the cliff and are in ICU. And some marriages, quite honestly, are dead. And they flatlined and they need the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to bring them back to life, which A, is quite possible. And he has that power and he has that ability and he carries resurrection power with him everywhere he goes. And and so today I want to talk specifically to those three married couples. You're in a season of hurt, you're dying, or you're dead. And I want to talk to those couples today, but this message is also for every married couple that wants to have a thriving relationship, wants to be more than just married, wants their marriage to be the best that it possibly can be. It's also for singles and engaged couples so that you can learn about this issue before it becomes reality and blows up in your face and to give you a true biblical foundation for marriage. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you some steps to rescuing a broken relationship. And these are the things uh, that can pull your marriage back uh, from the brink of disaster. And and just as the enemy uses words to attack us, we use words for healing. And and that's the way this plays out. And so I want to give you four things. They spell out the word talk uh, so that you can memorize this and pull this up on a regular regular basis in your relationship with your spouse. It's ultimately how we heal is through talking with each other. The T is to tell them you're hurt. When you're in a relationship and you've been hurt and you've been harmed, that's where you begin. You have to admit the hurt. And you have to admit it to yourself, admit it to God, and then admit it to your spouse. And you say, you've hurt me, or I'm hurt, or I'm feeling hurt right now. And uh, when you tell them, please do this the right way. okay? And and by me telling you that, there is a wrong way uh, to tell your spouse uh, that you were hurt. Your words are like swords, and they can kill, or they can cauterize the wound, right? They, they can bring healing, or they can bring destruction. Has anyone ever said to you, I don't mean any disrespect, but? What they mean is they're about to be very disrespectful, right? Or, hey, don't take this the wrong way, to which if you were honest, you would say, I'm not sure how I can now. You know, or do anything but take it in the wrong way. Or, or hey, no offense, but, <laughs> you know, and then they say something really offensive. In the process, and sometimes that's the way conversation, before you speak, think about it and bathe those words in love, bathe those words in prayer, but do speak. Okay, the whole point I'm saying here is speak, but speak right, but do speak. You have to tell your spouse when you're hurt and you have to tell your spouse when you're wounded. It's so important to get your hurt out in the open and on the table. Why? Because if you don't, it's like the grit getting in the gears of an engine and it will eventually destroy the engine. The book uh, on marriage and romance and and, uh, relationships is, is Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 15. Solomon says, catch all the little foxes, before they destroy or ruin the vineyard of love. You have to catch those little foxes. It's not big bears that are gonna destroy, it's little foxes that destroy the vineyard and the vineyard of love. And so I'm saying you gotta catch those things and deal with them before they wreak havoc on the relationship. Even Paul talks about a little leaven can leaven the whole lump, that there are little things that can mess up the whole thing and affect the whole thing. And, And so when you've hurt your spouse by your actions, or when you're hurt by your spouse's actions, rather, I should say, then it could be them or it could be you. They could be behaving destructively or you could just be too sensitive to to what's happening or what they're saying. Or it could be that there is a real enemy with a real plan to deceive and to kill and steal and destroy, which is why you have to go to the A, which is acknowledge the source. You tell them that, they're, that you're hurt, and now you acknowledge the source of the wound. When you get hurt and you feel that bruise come on, it's very important for you to identify where is that hurt coming from. Because sometimes the hurt is from the situation, but oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes the hurt is from the past. And from a wound back there, a, a month or so ago I tore my tricep playing racquetball, which tells you I'm getting old. And and, and as I went to hit a shot like this, my shoulder went over and I basically grabbed my rear end with my hand and it popped. And it rolled up in my arm like a window shade. And and instantly it was blood red and then it bruised and it was nasty. And for a while, every time I went to pick up a coffee cup, it hurt. And I whined about it. And, And I could have in that moment thought, man, this coffee cup sure is hurting my arm. But it wasn't the coffee cup that was hurting my arm. The coffee cup was identifying the fact that I was hurt several weeks ago in the past. The same thing plays out emotionally in our lives. That there are emotional hurts from the past. They can hide and they can disguise themselves. But they come out when when you least expect them. And in a marriage, that's where they come out. With the people that you're most comfortable with. And the temptation is to say, I'm feeling hurt because of what you've just said or what you've just done. But reality is, you were hurt a long time ago, and for many of you, before you ever even met your spouse. It is where you were harmed. so you have to acknowledge the source of it. And you're feeling the pain, and where is the pain coming from? In part two of this series, I did a whole message on wounds and emotional wounds from the past, and taking those wounds and not carrying them, but placing them on the cross of Jesus where they belong, and giving those wounds and giving those hurts and forgiving the ones who have hurt us and harmed us, and putting all of that baggage on the cross where it belongs. If you were not here for that talk, you need to swing by the Resource Center and pick up that DVD, and you need to listen to it or watch it, and quite honestly, all of you ought to pick that one up and watch it every three months. Because the truth of the matter is that's an ongoing process. We just sang the song a moment ago about in him or something like that. By him we overcome. And I I love that word. And while we were singing that song, I was just thinking about it's not in him that we overcame. It's in him that we overcome, and we continue to overcome until we meet Jesus face to face. And there's this process of continually taking wounds and putting them on the cross, taking wounds and putting them on the cross, taking wounds because people are going to harm us, and there are some deep, deep deep-seated hurts in people's lives today. There is a threefold attack by the enemy on the children of God. That threefold attack is number one, the iniquity passed down, the sins of the fathers. And and, uh, I just want you to hear me when I tell you, it is a real attack of the enemy and it is one of the ways that he comes after the children of God. The second way is lifestyle sins, that he gets you and I to believe a lie and we sin. And because of our sin and because of the way we're acting, because of our disobedience, because of our not trusting God and surrendering to God, we have opened ourselves up to ground for the enemy to take in our lives. The third one is wounds from others. Where other human beings hurt us. Sometimes well-meaning human beings, sometimes not so well-meaning human But we're harmed by wounds of others. And here's what I want you to see about all three of these. They are birthed in, conceived in, grown in the fertile soil of lies. All of them. That they are built on lies. And sometimes the enemy has been lying to you for so long you don't realize it's a lie. And you believe the lie, and you bought the lie, and you repeat the lie, and now you're lying to yourself, and now you're lying to your spouse, and you're lying to your children. I get this question sometimes from people, and it's an honest question. And what does it say? Is, Pastor, is it wrong to lie? That, I mean, that's an easy one to answer, right? Send me that question. I'd love to answer that one for you. Yes, it's wrong to lie. But then the pushback comes, and Pastor, no, no, what I mean is, When I lie, I'm talking about a lie that protects my spouse. Is it okay to lie at that moment to to my spouse? They think it's a different question. It's the same question. With a parenthesis and a nuance there, it's the same question. And and, and I, I can't tell you numerous times, in the ministry that the Lord has given me, I've sat with people who've, who've been in adulterous affairs and, and they tell me, but I've made it right with God. And in making it right with God, He didn't lead them to make it right with their spouse. Can I just tell you, you didn't make it right with God. If, you, if He didn't lead you to make it right with your spouse, that wasn't God you were dealing with. God would lead you to make it right with your spouse. That's where he would lead you in this process. And, and you say, well, well, what about lying and why? Why is lying, you know, wh- I'm trying to protect him. No, you're not trying to protect him in that scenario. Lying is damaging. Always it's damaging. And, and believing the lie is hurting you and, it, and that's not from God. Well, why is lying so wrong? Well, lying, first of all, opposes the very nature and character of God. Just think through that for a moment. It opposes the very nature and character of God. Lying supports the playbook of the enemy. And lying creates separation between God and between other people. That's where lying leads. And in marriage, in the end, all dishonesty does is merely postpone your spouse's discovery of the truth. Are you tracking with me today? The question is, well, how honest should I be, Pastor? How honest should I be in my marriage relationship? I want to propose to you today this concept in marriage. I call it radical honesty. That you should be radically honest with your spouse. We'll define that, okay? Radical honesty is complete honesty about one's feelings, one's past experiences, present activities, and future plans. Let me just say that again for you, okay? Radical honesty is complete honesty about one's feelings, past experiences, present activities, and future plans. What does that mean? It means radical honesty leaves no room for exceptions. None. Zero room. Now, let me just caveat that by saying, ladies, if you want men to be radically honest, you've got to believe them. When, when, when they're being radically honest, there's some things you need to know uh, about men. It is possible for men not to be thinking about anything. (laughs) Seeing anything or hearing anything. That that is possible for men. And I know you're not capable of that, but you just have to believe them when they they ask you. And sometimes Meredith asks me, what are you thinking about? We're driving down the road. We've been on the road for hours. I'm just staring out the windshield. She said, what are you thinking about? The truth of the matter is nothing. (laughs) But I feel the pressure to say something. So I look over at the sticker and say, I'm thinking about we need an oil change. But but it is possible for us to not be thinking about anything. We're we're actually thinking about nothing. And and so when they say, didn't you notice my haircut? And you say, no. Which means it was a waste of money. Right? You say, well, no. the, The goal of a good haircut is for you not to notice that you got a haircut. Well, then you got a bargain. But, because I, I, I didn't notice it. But, but, but I did not notice you got a haircut. I did notice the check engine light. And I'm wondering why you didn't see it. <laughs> and, and the fact of the matter is, is we are different. And there are things that we hear. I hear things in the car. If there is a slight rattle in the vehicle, I hear it. And Mary's answer is, just turn the radio on. <laughs> it doesn't matter how loud the radio is, I'm going to hear it. And I'll pull the car over, we're unlocking, we're pulling the jack out of the back of the car and and the spare truck, we're trying to find the rattle because it drives me insane. And there are things, men, there are things that just come out uh, that we hear and there are things we don't hear. Men don't hear, can you pick up my socks, your socks? My parents are coming, right? We didn't hear that. Men can tune out babies crying. They can tune out oven timers. They can turn out alarm clocks. But there are certain sounds, men, no matter where we are, we hear it. Right? I just want to illustrate that for you today, and then I'm going to ask you men what the sound was. Okay? And so, uh, guys, would you just play a clip for us, and we'll test the men and see if they know what it is? <laughs> guys, what is it? Sports. It's Sports Center, right? And they play the same show over and over and over and over every day, but we watch it twice. Same stats, same clips. We think something's changed. But we know that noise and our focus comes, you know, you know, rabbit. I mean, we we, we hear that noise and we know it. Let me give you another one. It's on again, right? Hey, guys, go down one and click that. That one, yeah, THX. That's a good one, isn't it? We can just give an invitation after that noise. (laughs) Uh, Let's do one more. I've been really trying, baby. What is that one? Let's get it on. (laughs) Right. Marvin Gaye is one heck of a performer. And listen, that's why every man is here in this marriage series is for that song right there <laughs> to play out. And, and if you were going to be radically honest with me, you would say, Pastor, don't ever sing again. So that's a great example of playing outside of your gift mix. Radical honesty. We need to understand how to communicate with each other because the idea of radical honesty is vitally important to a biblical Marriage and the policy of radical honesty involves revealing to your spouse as much information about yourself as you know. And to better explain that, I just want to break that down for you for just a second that radical honesty includes, first of all, emotional honesty that you are emotionally honest with your spouse about positive emotions and negative emotions. That affected me in a great way or that affected me in a negative way, that you are emotionally honest with your spouse. It, it includes historical honesty, information about your personal history, weaknesses, hangups, sin, etc. historical honesty, that I'm gonna be honest about everything in my past. It includes current honesty, wh- which means what? You reveal information about the events of your day especially those that affect your spouse. And and, and then also future honesty. You are honest with your spouse on a regular basis about your thoughts and plans regarding your future. And where you see this going and where you see this headed, you don't keep that from your spouse. And, And once you are radically honest with your spouse and open about all things, it makes it easier to acknowledge the source of the wound and acknowledge the source of the hurt, and then you respond with forgiveness, acceptance and love, which takes me to the L, love no matter what. Love no matter what. To love no matter what means to accept your spouse as they are. Now please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying accept your spouse and, and, and play everything off to the side. Accept your spouse, don't accept negative destructive behavior. Accept your spouse, don't excuse their sin. Accept your spouse. Don't overlook their need to heal from wounds and hurts in their lives. You may say, well, Alex, well, accepting them and love no matter what means that I can't ever be correcting and that I can't ever correct. It's not true. Last week, we talked about marriage and holiness and happiness, and we said the goal of biblical marriage is holiness and happiness, and it's happiness and holiness, and the marriage vows mean I love you no matter what happens. I love you no matter what. It is an acceptance that is a picture of the gospel. And where it comes from is the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, is, it's the same type of love that God showed us. Romans 15, verse 7. Listen to what the Bible says. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given glory. Are you watching this play out? That by me accepting other people, especially my spouse, and the way that Jesus accepts me gives God glory. And God is a glory hog. And he hogs all of the glory because he's the only one worthy of all of the glory. He deserves and has earned all of the glory and in and of himself has no need. He is glorious. And because he is glorious, now he's saying, I want you to accept one another, especially your spouse, in the same way that Jesus accepted you. God's love is so big that there is nothing we can do to separate us from the love of God. And God wants us to live in marriage in a relationship like that too, as a picture of the gospel. Think about this for a second. What did you do to earn God's love? Anybody? Nothing, right? Well, you didn't do a single thing to earn God's love. You did nothing. In fact, what you did is earn hell and separation from God and death. But, but in his love and his grace and his acceptance of you, that's what the cross is all about. And without God's love and acceptance and grace, there would be no cross. And in marriage, if you have to earn your spouse's love, that's not acceptance. That's not true acceptance and that's not reflecting the purpose of god and that's not reflecting the mystery of the gospel in your marriage relationship acceptance is saying i love you for who you are i love you for how god made you not for how you serve me and not for what you but i love you so so when you have hurts and when your spouse hurts you that's when you say i love you and i accept you but you've crossed a boundary and you've crossed a line, and you have harmed me, and you have hurt me in the process. But you communicate that love and acceptance, and you begin with forgiveness, and then it's up to your spouse to ask for forgiveness, to repent, and to change, right? But you begin with forgiveness, just like the gospel begins with forgiveness. And there's a principle of love that plays out there. And it's the principle of love. And if you disengage, when you've been hurt, it will only lead to more hurt. And listen, it is the temptation for all of us. Human nature, sin nature. When we have been hurt, the temptation is for us to disengage. Listen to me, in a marriage relationship, when you have been hurt, if you disengage, it will lead to more hurt. It is not the prescription or the solution. It is part of the problem and it leads to more hurt. You got to stay at the table and you got to keep talking. And and that's the last point the K is keep talking. You want to heal a broken relationship, you tell them that you're hurt, you acknowledge the source of the hurt, you love no matter what, and then you keep talking. Communication is the most important tool in rescuing a broken relationship, but it's often the first thing to break down. And and when things go wrong and we're hurt, communication is the first thing to go. So to, to get godly love and godly acceptance, the key to that is communication. Let me give you four communication keepers, okay? Number one, keep it open you have to keep the lines of communication open. This is the whole point of you cannot disengage, you can't hang up the call, you have gotta continue to stay at the table, keep communicating, keep talking, and be honest and don't shut down. Don't bury your head in the sand, but be honest and say, hey, that hurt, and, and you just hurt me, and you're being open and honest instead of keeping it bottled inside. Because if you do that, it will fester, and it will burst, and one day it will destroy the relationship. But once you get it out in the open, what happens? Seven out of ten times when when you say to your spouse, you hurt me, and just in the process of saying that, you realize, that's ridiculous. I shouldn't be hurt there. I'm just being far too sensitive, right? I mean, you didn't mean that. And and just by saying it, it comes out. But those three out of ten times that it was a real hurt, you've just given your spouse permission to ask for forgiveness. And if you don't tell them they've heard you, they will not know. None of you has a mind reading spouse. They don't know. Sometimes ladies will say, Pastor, are you kidding me? Really? He doesn't know that that bothered me? I glared at him with a cold stare for three minutes. He wasn't looking. Your spouse cannot read your mind. You have to tell them when you're hurt. Let me, let me explain this to you. Men are horrible at this communication thing, and we don't know that, that we've hurt you with our words. Why? Because the words made sense in our head, and that's all that mattered to us, that it was logical, and that it made sense in our head, and we communicated, and we don't know that we harmed you. You have to tell us, and you have to tell one another in the process that that hurt, so keep it open. Number two, keep it in the present. Wow, don't nudge anybody on this Keep it in the present. You know 1 Corinthians 13, that great love chapter. You know what it says about love? It says it keeps no record of wrong. No record of wrong. To which the type A people in the room, whether it's male or female, we think, but how do we know who's winning? right? I mean, if we don't keep score, how can we tell who is wrong and right without a record keeper, right? But here's the deal. When you're in the middle of that hurt, you've just been wounded, you've just been harmed, the temptation is to lash out. But the temptation is not only just to lash out, the temptation is to reach way back into the past and hurl that bomb into the conversation. That's just like the time three years ago, da 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 Right, And you're going back into the past, and it's like throwing a hand grenade down into a foxhole that you're standing on top of. It's going to harm you, and it's going to blow up at your feet. And you throw it, and we get in the heat of things, and we want to win the argument. And so we launch the grenade you know, down to the hole, and later we realize we're only hurting ourselves. Why? Because we're on the same side in marriage. We're on the same team. And so you've got to keep it in the present. You keep those things in the past where they belong. You forgive and you forget. Why? It's what God did. Right? It's what God did with our sins. It's what God did with your sins. It's the key to relating to your spouse. What did God do for me? And what God did for me, I should do for my spouse. So what did he do with your sins? Isaiah says that he blotted them out for his own sake. And he will never ever think of them again. So keep it open, keep it in the present, thirdly, keep it positive. After the hurt, after you've been wounded, remember to say, I still love you and I still accept you, but da-da-da-da-da, right? And in communicating that love and acceptance, they know that you still love them and that you still accept them. It communicates a lot, and there's something healing about those words. You want your spouse to be a wonderful, caring, loving person, right? Speak those words over them, and speak those words into their life. Speak it into their life. Ephesians 4:29. Paul tells us, do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And so here's what you do. When you're open and honest about things and bad things and good things, and, and even in the midst of, of argument, it, it, honesty is the way to play that out on good and bad. Sometimes you say you, you know, to your spouse, I love you. You drive me crazy, but there must be something really special about you because I would never let anybody drive me that crazy. And it's honesty in the good and the bad. Meredith and I communicate with one another, and, and, we just have to embrace the differences, right? Because if you're not different, you don't fit together. And, and the way that plays out, you just a couple of weeks ago, I'm pulling out of the driveway, and, and before I get in the car, I said to Meredith, "Hey Meredith, I need you today to da 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 da, da-da, you know, and start making the list." And she just smiled at me and looked at me and said, "Honey, my list is full." And I said, "Well, I need you to da 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 da." She said, "My list is still full." <laughs> and, and I said. I need you to be the kind of spouse that when I say I need you to da 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 da, da you say, okay, and you go do it. And she said, my list is full. <laughs> and at that point, we just started laughing, right? Because we could go at it, and there could be a nuclear war right there in the driveway between, between the two of us, but we understand we're different. And we, we have to acknowledge that difference. We've been together 18 years, dating two years before that, so 20 years we've been together. We know it's different and that we're different from one another, and you have to embrace that and allow that to be humorous and allow that to play out in your life. The truth of the matter is is Meredith could not be married to somebody like Meredith. They would have fun, but it would be a party under a bridge because they'd be homeless. <laughs> and I couldn't marry somebody like me, right? We, we would get it all done, but we'd hate each other in the process and we would fight. Like, it, would just be, we would, it would be an awful marriage, right? And you just have to embrace that about your spouse and keep it in the positive. Why? Life is tough, guys. And I told you this last week the devil convinces us to make our spouse the difficulty in life when our spouse is not the difficulty in life, life is difficult. And God's given us a spouse to walk through that difficulty with, so keep it positive. Life is tough, and it's really hard, and you're going to hurt each other. and That is a real statement and a truthful statement, and it's going to happen. Wedding vows, I'm thinking seriously about the next one I do to change it. I'm going to change the vows. The, the, the word, or, does not belong in the vows. Richer or poor. It needs to be richer and poorer. Why? Because both are coming. It's not, you know, in sickness or health. It's in sickness and health. Why? Because both are coming in better and worse. Not or, because in every situation you're in, it's always going to get worse and it's always going to get better. And it's and, and it's both. It's going to be better and worse. That video we've shown for the last several weeks at the beginning, you're tempted to watch that video and you think, well, you know, which side am I on? You're going to be on both sides. In every marriage, you will be on one side or the other. On this day, you'll be on this side and you're working to get to that side and one day you're on this side and you're thanking God you're not on that side. And and that's the way it plays out in marriage and that is reality. But you gotta stay committed and you gotta stay true to those vows for better and worse. And I just have to say this today. I I just have to say to, to those of you listening to me today, resist the temptation to cut and run. It is a very real temptation in our world today. And you get hurt and you wanna run and you wanna find something better and you wanna find something different and I'm just telling you it's a temptation that the enemy puts out there. And when a spouse is hurt or a spouse is disappointed in marriage, the way that the enemy does this is they start to look and the enemy sees to it that they see someone. Puts them right in their eyes. A, a, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, and, and this is the way this plays out. And the enemy starts to lie. It is birthed in lies. You can do better than this, you deserve better than this. That person will meet all of your needs. That is a lie. Ask anyone who has been divorced and remarried, ask them if they ever married someone who meets all of their needs. It's a lie. And when someone has an affair, they're thinking, "Well, I'm just meeting my needs. I've got to take care of my needs." And they justify it, and they lie to their spouse, and they lie to themselves, but but the truth of the matter is they had an affair because they believed a lie. James, I've been in this passage for over a year now with you. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, listen. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, the lives of believers. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And while your mate's behavior may be the cause for your dissatisfaction, your response is your responsibility. And your response can be redemptive, a redemptive force for change in your marriage, or your response can be a destructive force that will take it down for good. And I know your feelings are real, and I know you need help, and I know you need to be honest, but listen to me, affairs don't help. They destroy. And they may medicate the pain for a moment, but in the end they destroy all that's really important and they destroy relationships. Proverbs chapter five talks about the immoral woman. Verse three, for the lips of an immoral woman are sweet as honey. And I would just say to you, I think he's talking about immorality here. You could easily put in there, for the lips of an immoral man are as sweet as honey. It's not a gender thing, this is about immorality. And her mouth is smoother than oil, it says. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down into death and her steps lead straight to the grave. Listen, affairs are attractive because they offer a partial relationship that only includes the good. When you're in an affair with someone, you don't see all of that person. You only see them at moments during the day when they're in a good light. You're not around them and you don't see the bad. And I don't understand it, but somehow the enemy in people's minds flips that switch off that you're having an affair with someone and you see the good in them and it doesn't dawn on you they are cheating and lying. And how do we see someone who is cheating and lying only in a good light? You want the truth? The truth about affairs, they will drive you as crazy as your current spouse, maybe more crazy. You think an affair is going to help with your hurt? Listen, play that movie out. Play that movie out to the point where the credits roll. What's going to happen with that? A family will be destroyed. Heartbreak will happen. Kids will be devastated. Friends will split up. Financial ruin, emotional turmoil. That's not a happy ending that's the truth of where that leads and it's not a romance novel ending it is a lie from a real enemy who has come to steal kill and destroy the enemy wants to kill steal and destroy and he wants to take your marriage out but God wants to give you love and he wants to give you life and he wants to give you abundant life Let's pray together. As we bow our heads in all of the environments today, I, I just want to say the bottom line today and the takeaway today is if we're married, we have to talk. We have to tell each other when we're hurt. We have to acknowledge the source of that hurt and that wound. It's a love no matter what. And then we have to keep talking. And we have to keep our talking open and, and present and positive. But you know, that's exactly what we need to do with God. Is keep talking. And today, it's okay for you in this room to go ahead and tell God that you're hurt. And tell Him that you're wounded and be honest with Him about how you feel. Allow Him to help you acknowledge the source of that wound to receive his unconditional love, that big love. One of the counseling scenarios been in in the last month or two. On a regular basis, this individual has said, I've out-sinned the grace of God. And that love of God, and grace of God may be big, but... He can't forgive me. Listen, that self loathing is arrogance in disguise. You say that's not arrogant. No, listen to your pastor. It's arrogant. For you to think that God's love is so big and so great and so mighty, but you've outsinned it, what makes you think your sin is worse than anybody else's? You don't get to wear that badge and you don't get to wear that honor your sins just like everybody else's and his love is so big and so good and so strong and so mighty that, that he, he can forgive any and all sin and for you to say well I can receive the, I think God can forgive me but I can't forgive myself arrogance your standard higher than God's He gets to have the highest standard. He's God of the universe. To so receive the unconditional love of God and then keep talking to God. This plays out in our relationship with him too. To keep it intimate and open and honest. He tells us the truth, but he's always positive. And he's always for us. So I want us to pray today for marriages, for ours and for those of the church. Marriages in the church under attack, immense attack. Before we do that, I I just want to ask you today to acknowledge, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? You have an intimate relationship with him where you know and you're fully known with no fear of rejection. Praying a prayer doesn't make you a Christian. You can't find that anywhere in Scripture. Giving your heart to Jesus makes you a Christian. Surrendering control of your life to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that, that God raised you from that. Jesus being your Lord. So it makes you a Christian. Do you have that? Do you have that relationship with Him? And if you don't, would you cross that faith line today? right where you're seated, would you just say and mean it and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. and Today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior. You call the shots in my life and my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I acknowledge all of my sin. And Jesus, I trust you alone to save me. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for salvation.